1: There's nothing you can't do if you decide to put your left foot in front of your right and stop making excuses.
2: I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do Thanks to Bombas for supporting
0: Don't Keep Your Day Job. Bombas makes socks that are comfortable and look great for whenever you need with a wide variety of options. Go to bombas.com slash dreamjob today to shop the Pride Collection and get 20% off your first order. Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So... Let me just tell you a couple things that were going on this weekend. Um, one thing is that my sister and I spent hours filling up basically an entire truck. Um, we donated clothes and toys and books and diapers to an amazing, uh, organization called My Friend's House LA. And this beautiful, uh, African American man came to pick up the stuff and we just had the most heartwarming, beautiful, conversation and connection. And um, I just think it's important right now to reach out and as much as you can, whatever you can do um, to just have conversations with people, to connect, to show your love and support. And I, I, just think it goes a long way. And as much as we, you know, he thanked us for all of the things that we gave, I absolutely felt like I was the one who got more out of it a hundred percent. Um, so that was one piece of the weekend. Uh, another piece of the weekend is that my husband and I have, you know, life is very much ups and downs and we've been having a, a few hard weeks and uh, we were doing really well at the beginning of quarantine. But then the last few weeks, things have been really hard, um, uh, in our marriage and I was talking to a friend about it and, you know, it's just interesting. I feel like some friends have the perspective that it should be easy, you know, all the time. And then some friends have the perspective that, you know, marriages work. And I read this thing on Instagram. It said, the idea of soulmates has people thinking that once they find the one, everything is smooth sailing from there. But no, you still have to communicate, face past demons, set boundaries together, build and sustain trust and weather storms that come to tear you apart. And I'm just curious, um, what are your thoughts on this? do you find that your relationship is mostly easy-peasy? Do you find that most couples you know struggle? Um, or do you think that true soulmates never argue? I'd love to hear your experience. Um, It's hard for me sometimes to gauge because my parents were so unhappily married and got divorced. And I think my husband and I are worlds ahead of where they were. But I think I have like relationship OCD. And I always wonder like, Is it bad? Is it not good? Is it, you know, like, are we okay? And I'm just curious, uh, what you guys think and it would really help me to hear. So you can DM me or email me or whatever. Um, and on today's episode, we're going to talk to someone who's overcome a lot of struggle. And, uh, I thought, you know, this would be. A good episode for this week, just because there's so much going on in the world. And last week, we put together an episode of all these incredible black women who have been on our show. And for this week, uh, we had done this interview with John O'Leary. And I thought, I wanted to share his story. He's a uh, world renowned inspirational speaker, a best selling author. He's also a podcaster. And he has an unbelievable story of resilience and heroism and humility. Um, he's really generous the way he shares it. Um, and I think it might be helpful to people around the world in helping us uh, live up to our full potential and embrace the gifts of every moment and celebrate the joy of being here. He's written two amazing books, On Fire, The Seven Choices to Ignite a Radically Inspired Life. And his second book just came out last month. It's called In Awe, Rediscover Your Childlike Wonder to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy. And you will definitely want to get yourself a copy once you hear what he has to say. John hosts the Live Inspired Podcast. It's a super empowering show that'll wake you up to to just achieve and impact people through your life. He interviews astronauts, award-winning broadcasters and entertainers and best-selling authors like Brene Brown. uh, And I was actually also on his show. Uh, He's really humble and he's really kind. And I think that his words will spark something in you. So without further ado, please welcome John O'Leary. John O'Leary, it is really such an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for making the time.
1: Kathy, it is my pleasure. I'm a huge fan of yours, and it's cool to not only be a fan now, but a friend also. So thank you for having me on.
0: You're really such an incredible human being. I don't know if everybody knows, but they're in for such an epic tale. Why don't you take us back and tell us your story? And then we're going to talk about all the things you do today um, that have emerged from such a hero's journey.
1: You know, so I'm going to begin in a place you probably weren't expecting with me being 26 or 27 years old having never told anybody in the world the answer to the question you just asked wow which was how I got burned as a kid I was not born I don't think to become a professional speaker or writer I wanted to be a baseball player I'm a midwest kid I'm ordinary I love having fun I love life I I just love experiencing the fullness of life so um that's what I wanted to do. And after being burned, it's still what I wanted to do. In fact, the last thing in the world I wanted to do is to be different than anybody else. When you have fingers that have been amputated and scars from your neck to your toes, the last thing you really want to do is talk about, about why you have those scars. And so I hid my story in the farthest closet that I have in my house. I just never, ever, ever talked about it. I masked up with humor, with success, with money, with drinking in high school and college and afterwards, anything I could do to possibly make it disappear for a while, that's exactly what I did. And then my mom and dad wrote a book when I was 26, 27 years old. They printed 100 copies. It's their story, but it's my picture on the front of it. And it's a story of what happened to them as parents and to their little boy when he got burned at age nine on 100% of his body. And reading that book, Kathy, just, it changed My life it changed the way I viewed my hands, my scars, my experiences, my misery, the redemptive aspect of of all of it. And then it eventually changed the way I moved forward in my life afterwards. So the, the long of the short is this. At age nine, I was in my garage. I took a can of gasoline. I poured a little bit on top of a burning piece of paper like I'd seen friends do a week earlier to see what might happen. And for them, what happened is it just sparked to life. Well, for me, what happened is the fumes grabbed the flame, created this massive explosion that launches the nine-year-old kid 20 feet against the far side of the garage. It sets me on fire. It sets the garage on fire. It sets our lives on fire. I'm trapped in the far side of the garage. When we were little, we were taught what to do when we're on fire. So at home class, what are you supposed to do when you're on fire? Stop, Stop
0: drop, and roll. roll. Yeah
1: except when you're actually on fire. What do you actually do when you're on fire? You run. So I I panicked and I ran for my life and I ran through the flames into the kitchen, through the family room, stood on top of a rug, just screaming for a hero, praying for a savior. I'll take anybody. And I saw my 17 year old brother, Jim. He was my older brother. He'd never done anything kind for me in my entire life. And so on the rug that day with flames leaping off my body, seeing my brother, I remember thinking, Anybody else, not Jim, because he can't help. But Kathy and listeners, this is his day to not only remind me, but I think to remind all of us that anybody can become a hero. You said, John, tell us your hero story. Like, I'm so ordinary and so broken. Anybody can become a hero, but they got to make their life about something bigger than themselves. And so that day, what my brother Jim did is he ran past me. He picked up a rug. He ran back over to me. He beat down the flames that were leaping three feet off of my body, wrapped me in that rug, carried me outside, Kathy, rolled around on top of me, saved my life. After doing that, this 17 year old boy who's never been trained for any of this goes into a burning house. He gets the golden retriever outside. He gets two of his sisters outside. He calls 911, and then he guides me to the ambulance. Jim O'Leary, 1987, was, when he woke up on January 1st, an ordinary, pimple-faced, freckly, jerk brother. And then the headwinds blew, and then life changed, and then he showed up. And I think the cool thing about crisis, you get to decide, how do you want to respond now? You want to be a hero? Or do you want to just kind of lock the doors a little bit tighter and make life all about you? The the cool thing right now, we get to remind our ladies and gentlemen, our brothers and sisters in the community, that they're not alone, that there's reason for hope and that the best is yet to come. And that's what Jim did for me that day. He changed my life. He gave me a life. And so uh, I appreciate you saying your hero story, but the reality is I'm the net sum of so many remarkable people being used for a cause bigger than themselves.
0: It's not fair because there's really no words that adequately respond The story is on a level most of us have never heard be somebody's reality. It's what you decided to tell. It's what you answered when the question is, what's the story? And you talked about your brother and made your brother the hero. It's just amazing that that's the way that you frame your story.
1: Don't tell him because he's still a jerk. He just doesn't have pimples anymore or freckles. Uh, And I'm kidding, of course, my brother was my hero in 1987, still is my hero. I recognize how little I can do by myself as a man. I have four kids. I'm married. I have a small business, all the things. But I can only do so much. I I sit on the shoulders of giants. And what that is, it's not humility as much as honesty. Because so do you, Kathy. And so do every one of your listeners. None of us have done life by ourselves. And if you think you have, you're a liar you're wrong, you're misinformed. You can't do it by yourself, but together we collectively can move mountains. And it's one of the, the outgrowths, I think, of the spread of the coronavirus is we recognize how interconnected every single one of us is. I've known that for a while. And now how cool to recognize we all do. Unfortunately, it takes tragedy oftentimes to have our eyes open, but our eyes are open. We are awake. And how do we want, we want to respond during this time? And then how do we want to live into it afterwards?
0: You're such an unrelenting positive spirit. So people don't really know what it was like to live one minute of your story. So you go into the ambulance yes, and what happens over the next six days, six months, six years?
1: The short of it is day one begins with me not in that much physical pain because I'm still in shock, but I remember everything. My dad coming into the emergency room and being so certain my dad was going to be furious because I burned down his house. And instead, he comes in with all kinds of grace and love and just blew me away. And then my mother comes in and, and her kindness to me just shocked me. And then they, they raced me away from her and uh, into surgery. That's where it becomes a little bit more foggy for me. But I spent five and a half months in burn care. I would go to surgeries every single Monday for what's called a like transplanting skin from one part of your body to another. Because I only had skin that was fresh on my face and scalp. So that's the part that's not burned third degree. Everything else is burned third degree. So they have to piece you back together and they can't use your skin, Kathy, or your parents. It's got to come from you. So all my skin is slowly coming from my scalp and my face is not burned. So you see this Midwestern looking guy right now in front of you with a happy smile on his face, but my entire body is burned third degree scars up and down, but I'm alive. And I'm alive because these amazing doctors and warriors were able to week after week after week harvest skin from my scalp and piece me back together. And so uh, that takes months to do. And during the process, they're doing bandage changes every day. They're going through physical therapy with you every day, occupational therapy, speech therapy, respiratory therapy. So my lungs were and remain damaged. Infection control, chaplains coming in, social workers, the whole nine yards. But what you need to know is, it's not a season of sadness. And I hope for those of us who are struggling right now, they recognize this This doesn't have to go down the way it feels like it is right this moment. What I remember most about that experience was not the pain. What I remember most is on Sundays, my mom and dad would bring my five siblings. And while everybody else was afraid to touch me or hold me or hug me, these kids would come racing down the hallway. And I'll, I'll get emotional telling the story because I never, ever tell it. But geez, nobody's going to touch John O'Leary. He's broken, damaged goods, except his siblings who know him. They know who he really is. He's not some burned guy in a wheelchair. He's their brother. And so they come running down the hallway. And It's just, that's what I remember. I remember love. I remember radio announcers coming by and telling me when I got out, they would have John O'Leary day at the ballpark. And then I remember not only knowing that I had a reason to get out of the hospital now, I remember knowing that the following day he was going to come back and he was going to bring a baseball player and then a football player and then all kinds of celebrities. We got letters from around the world. We got trees planted in Israel. So one of the ways to tell someone else you're loving them and praying for them is to plant a tree on their behalf. And so right now in Israel, there are little trees growing up 34 years or so later that were planted in honor of John O'Leary. So like we, we were connected. We still are connected. And so I don't remember the pain as much. I remember the joy, the life, the togetherness, and the vision of tomorrow.
0: Wow. So emotional to hear such goodness, such love amplified. And, and it really is amazing. My grandmother used to say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% how you deal with it. It's so evident that what you experienced is right. horrific. It's, that's the obvious. And then yet, you choose to focus on all these other things that were also true. The love was true. The connection was true. The generosity of of your parents, of your siblings, of the baseball players, of all those people, that was also true. And you just focused on that. What an incredible amount of courage to make that choice. Because no doubt you were in a tremendous amount of discomfort.
1: It's, uh, you know, what I remind my kids sometimes when they're struggling, not only this sentence, this too shall pass. And I don't pull this on them very often, but when they have a long pity party about something that I think is somewhat minor, I tell them a little bit of the story and I go into a little bit more detail than we've gone into to this point, whether it's around one physical therapy experience or waking up in late February, looking up at your dad, seeing him crying because he said, John, I'm sorry, they just had to amputate your fingers. And having a dialogue as a little boy with my dad, knowing that he just stole my life because nobody could prove to me back then that I could ever hold a pen. And if I can't hold a pen, I can't go to school. If I can't go to school, I can't get a job. And if I can't get a job, a girl will ever hold my broken hand. And so I knew my dad was claiming he gave me life, but I also knew he was wrong. So I've, I've been through the storms individually. But from those who've been through much greater storms than what I have weathered, those who decide to keep on going, what they recognize on the other side of it all is they've grown in faith. They've grown in humanity. They've grown in compassion. They've certainly grown in character and resiliency. They've grown in the things you cannot grow in when life is going well. And one of my favorite authors, you probably read him, Victor Frankl. Compared to what he went through and what your grandmothers went through and your grandfathers went through and a whole global community went through, one little boy being burned, it's tragic, but it's not the Holocaust. And he reminds us that they can take away everything, but they can't take away this last human freedom, that ability to choose your path forward. And so if you want to be like the news and only focus on how lousy your life is, have at it. You will have neighbors who agree with you and Facebook will back you up on it. And you're all right. You're fine. You're you're right. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm telling you right now there's another way to see it all. It's through the lens of truth. It is not easy. Not this side of eternity. Life is going to be very hard as long as you're in the game. And yet, in the midst of the crisis, you see healthcare professionals moving toward the fires. You see first responders putting their life on the edge every day. You see people delivering bread. These guys that you ignored for the majority of your life, you recognize now it's, oh, it's actually mission work, feeding the world. You recognize how good life is, how precious it is, and it is no longer something that you should take for granted. And I would tell you right now, there is beauty in that. You know, it's a horrible time to be alive. And... There's never been a better time to be alive.
0: And no one can say it the way that you can. It is such an incredible gift. So tell us what wound up happening. How did you begin to piece things together? And how did you begin to create the career and the work that is your work right now?
1: I'll answer your question, but it'll probably make you mad because I won't take credit for it. When I when I got home from the hospital on a Saturday, (laughs) three days later, the doorbell rang Kathy, and it was our piano teacher. And I'm in the kitchen on a morphine drip wrapped from head to toes, literally with bandages. My left arm is out at my side in an airplane, it's what they call it. And my right hand is in a boxer's glove. And my mother comes over and I look up and I say, mom, why is she here? And she doesn't answer. Not with words. Uh, you know, I, I, the risk I think of interviews, even like the one you and I are having right now, is talk is so cheap. What my mother did is she bent down, I'll never forget it, she unhooked the brakes on my wheelchair, she rolled me away from the pity party, rolls me into a living room, my great-grandmother's piano is up against the wall, my mom rolls me over, she locks the brakes and walks out. Mrs. Bartello comes in, she sits down next to me, she puts her arms around me and she says, baby, we're gonna do this together. And this beautiful lady ties with a rubber band a pencil to my right arm, And I'm taking piano class on a morphine drip as a nine-year-old kid. And I hated my mom that entire piano class. And I think the only time I hated mom more than that piano class was the one that followed the following week and then the following week and then the following week. And if you come visit me sometime in St. Louis, Missouri, you'll see a guy who runs a business, owns a home, is married with four kids, and has a piano himself that I play from time to time. And I insist my kids take piano class too. Because my mom taught me, really, in life, there's nothing you can't do if you decide to put your left foot in front of your right and stop making excuses. And it took me a long time to really heed that advice. I I went on to school eventually. I graduated from grade school and high school, went on to college, graduated – but I was living a fake life. I wasn't really living my authentic life. I was climbing the success ladder to prove to everybody else how great I was. Look how much money I can make. Look how much real estate I can sell. And I was, what I was doing was real estate development. Buy old houses, fix them up and flip them, make a lot of money. And I would do the work myself, which retrospectively I realized I was doing it by myself to prove to the world how capable I was. You may see hands that are amputated, but I see a guy who can swing a hammer better than anybody else. Just watch, watch me. And it was a lie. It was just all a great lie. And then the book comes out, and it changed my world. I got called by a group of three Girl Scouts to uh, share my story for their troop. And so Mr. O'Leary, that's what they called me. I'm only 27, but I walk into this classroom. There's only three of them. I look down at my notes. Kathy, never look up at those little monsters staring at me. They don't even pay me (laughs) out Samoas. They give me nothing. But I, I deliver a presentation. It was brutal. It sucked. The majority of it was about Abraham Lincoln and the adversity he faced as a young boy. But that's my first talk. And one of the dads in the room invited me to his Rotarian club. So I went. And I just have been led this entire journey. And then there was another group. And the first year I spoke three times, no money. But over 15 years that have followed, I've spoken 2,000 times in front of a couple million people around the country, around the world, just saying Yes just believing. And, and what you're hearing in this conversation, you've called that out a couple times. I think the reason the message works is because it has nothing at all to do with the dude delivering it. He's not that articulate. He's not that handsome. He's kind of broken. He says the wrong words all the time, but ultimately the story he shares isn't really about him. And I think that connects authentically to a lady in the front row or a fellow in the far back to recognize this story ultimately is about despair redeemed into life. And that is one every single one of us humans can identify with, and now more than ever. And given time and perspective and a little bit of faith, we recognize somehow the best remains in front of us. And so when a guy can humbly, shoulders bent a little bit, looking down, deliver a message like that, you realize, well, if it's true for him, maybe it's true for me too. And that's awfully encouraging during times that seemed like they were good, but in particular during times full of more adversity like today.
0: Every single word is a mic drop. Every single word is the exact medicine that everybody needs right now. So let's talk about the next thing, which is that I think people who are listening might think, but see Kathy, he just said, you know, he has all these incredible tools. He has faith. He has family around him who love him. And again, here come the excuses. I don't have faith. I don't know if I believe in any of that stuff. I don't have family around me that loves me. There's some unwillingness to let go of the pain. When people grip it really tight and they don't want to let it go, what is that about and how do we help them loosen that grip?
1: So I'll give you one quick story and then a process that has been very effective for me. The the quick story is even before the piano class, three days before that homecoming, I'm at home. Mom makes my favorite dinner, which oddly enough is all grinded potatoes. So she makes these potatoes. My five siblings are on the table. There's a golden retriever over there in the corner looking for scraps of food. And a little boy at the table with no fingers and no ability to eat. I can't do it. So my sister Amy, who is a remarkable human being, grabs a fork, picks up potatoes, moves it toward my mouth. And then my mother looks at Amy and says, Amy, drop that fork. If John is hungry, he's going to feed himself. And I remember looking away from the potatoes and that fork and over at my mom, like puppy dog eyes, like, what? What? I'm in a wheelchair, I'm on a morphine drip, I ain't got no fingers, mama, I know I can't eat. So I explained that to her very clearly and somehow she didn't take the bait because she says, baby, if you're hungry, you'll eat. Long story made very, very short, two and a half hours later, the plate of food had been flipped two different times and a little boy had a fork wedged between his fingers with potatoes on the end of it, moving them awkwardly toward his mouth with tears coming down the cheeks, looking with great hatred at his mom. But here's the point, guys, ladies, listeners, The boy was eating. The excuse was gone. The BS nonsense had left the room. And I don't know when it's going to leave your room. You can live there as long as you want. But at some point, when is it time to be, it's your life, you start living it. Quit making excuses. You can't live to the chains of yesterday for long. And if you do, you got no one to blame, not the jailer, not your parents. At some point, you got to be the one that frees you. And my mom insisted at age nine, John, you are not going to live chains to excuses. That was a very difficult lesson to receive as a kid, but I fed myself that day and I've been feeding myself ever since. Accountability I think kind of gets a bad rap, but it's your life. Choose your path forward and how liberated it is when you step into the day knowing that you get to choose how you engage in it. So that's the story. Now the process. What your listeners may not know is you got a guy who's got this goofy, loud, happy voice, but he has no fingers. I have scars from my neck to my toes. I'm in physical pain all day long. And every time I leave my house, people stare at me. Every time I walk into an airport or on a stage, people stare. And it's not because like, oh, my gosh, I hope he's single because I want to date him. Uh, People stare, man, because he's different than everybody else. So my life, what you need to know is my life is far from easy. So how do I try to own the gift that it is? Here's what I do. Every morning, I wake up at least an hour before anybody else. Don't wait for the alarm clock to wake you up to remind you you're already behind. I wake up before I need to, go downstairs, I get a big tall glass of water and a cup of coffee. I go out to the screen porch, whether it's 65 and sunny or uh, 32 and frigid. And I go out there and I look east in the morning and I just wait. And it's dark and it's chilly. And I got a journal, I got a little prayer book. I'm reflecting, I'm kind of thinking through the day, thinking about my yesterday. And as I watch the sun start cutting through the darkness, the light returns. And I always ask the question right when you see that first, like it comes over the horizon every morning, amazingly. And I always ask the question, why me? And then I spend the next 30 seconds to 10 minutes journaling. Why me? Why me? Light, again, cutting through the darkness, opportunity to, to live, opportunity to have two parents who are still alive, strong faith life, great marriage, not perfect, but it's good four little kids who are going to get up soon and hang on my leg, work that matters, opportunity to influence, why me? The likelihood of you being on this podcast, listeners, I know I'm lucky, I know I'm blessed, but the mathematical chance of you being in the room for this call is less than one in 400 trillion. That's the biological chance of your daddy's sperm and your mama's egg coming together, boom, right on time. One in 400 trillion, and you're here, and you're complaining about the weather, or you're complaining about how unfair it was nine years ago when he walked out Listen, it's hard, but life is a fragile gift. Don't miss the sunrise. So I begin with, why me? And it sets my day off on fire with gratitude. And then I step into it with mission. The second question is, who cares? Who cares if it's hard? Who cares if the headlines are all negative? Who cares if this thing is moving toward us and the headwind is building and the cloud is growing? When I answer that question, though, I always choose to answer it with, I choose to thrive in spite of it because... So I choose to thrive in spite of the storm, because, and that's my mission statement for the day and for my life. And so my mission, and this is your homework assignment, if you choose to accept, go for it. I choose to thrive because God demands it. My family deserves it. The world is starved for it. Let's go. And so it allows me to treat baristas with greater respect and my family with greater dignity and people I've never met before, like custodians, as if their work and their lives matter, because they do. They're on the front side of saving people's lives every day. And finally, during a crisis, we recognize this. So um, I choose to thrive because God demands it. Family deserves it. The world is starved for it. And then the third and final question guided me through the day, and I hope you've taken notes at home. The final question is, what more can I do to make tomorrow better than today? And so sometimes that's a, a business initiative, but I don't do it naturally. And I don't think selflessly naturally. And I don't think about my wife naturally. I don't think about my parents and what I can do to be a better son for them naturally. So this insists that every single day, I think of one thing I can do the following, to live a life bigger than my own. And so for me, for the last seven years, I've been going, going through this process. It's been a hard seven years, but it's been the best seven years of my entire life. And so I think that process for me has helped me get outside of the pity party or the excuse making to recognize how fortunate I am, the mission I'm on, and the truth that tomorrow is going to be better than today.
0: I feel like we just need to play these words through like a megaphone for the world and just put them on loop. That's all we need. Everything you're saying is so important. Before we keep going, let's just thank our sponsor. Thanks to Bombas for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Bombas makes socks that reconsider traditional designs to become even more comfortable and look great for whenever you need with a wide variety of colors, patterns, lengths, and styles. And in honor of this month being Pride Month, Bombas has a new special collection of awesome socks. Plus, for every pair of Pride socks you buy, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need in the LGBTQ plus community through the Ally Coalition. Pride is usually a time where we can all come together, but because many Pride events were canceled this year, it's more important than ever to find new ways to show support and give back to the community. My favorite style from the Pride Collection are the tie-dye socks. They're so colorful and bright and super comfy. I can't tell you how much I love wearing my Bombas socks. They're just so awesome. When I put them on, I feel like I'm giving my feet a hug. Definitely get yourself a pair. Go to bombas.com slash dreamjob today to shop the Pride Collection and get 20% off your first order. That's dot com slash dreamjob. You wrote a book before, now you're, there's another book, In Awe, Rediscover Your Childlike, Wanted to Unleash Inspiration, Meaning, and Joy. So why did you write this book and what are you hoping that when people read it, they walk away with?
1: So I wrote the book because I would take my kids to school and they would sing all the way to school. They would get out of my car and then these goofy kids would skip into the school building sixth grade, fourth grade, second grade and kindergarten. And I was like, what the heck are they skipping about? Don't they know how cruddy this day is supposed to be? It's going to rain at 10 o'clock. Why are they skipping in? And then I would go off to work or go on to a flight, go get, deliver a presentation somewhere, ask questions of the audience and get candidly very little engagement. When you ask a question to a big auditorium, it's not like every hand goes up. And then I would leave these big stadiums and arenas and auditoriums. And for fun, when I'm on the road, I like to go to schools. I just love to speak to kids. And I would walk into these first grade classrooms and notice that these kids would skip into the room. Like, just like mine, what the heck are they skipping about? Don't they know how hard the day is? And then they would sit down and they'd wiggle in their seats and I would ask them questions. And usually before I was even done, asking their hands would be in the air, getting ready to answer. And then I would say things like who in here is an artist. Every hand would go up. Who in here has got a question for Mr. John. Every hand would go up. Fully engaged fully on fire for life. They they would ask questions like, what happened to your fingers? Why is your skin red? But as soon as I answered the question, they would go back to being my friend. They totally connected with me. There was no judgment. There was only curiosity. And so I was wondering, what is it about a kid's optimism for life that they naturally have that we have lost sight of? Because we had it. At one point, you were the kid running through the sprinkler. At one point, you were the kid raising your hand saying, I'm going to go to the moon and come back. At one kid time, you believe you were going to be a school teacher, just like your second grade teacher, and you were going to change lives, just like Miss Smith did. And then we realize now how cruddy life is, and how a virus is spreading, and panic is setting in, and jobs are being displaced, and the market is falling. Except your kids don't see that. Your your kids still see life through the lens of great, raw, ferocious optimism. So how do we return to that? That's why I wrote the book, and I think the reason I wrote the book is also what I hope people get out of it. How do you return to that same sense in your singleness, in your addiction, in your marriage, in in your unemployment, in your dreams, in your aspirations, in your goals in life, in the way you connect not only with those around you, but also with yourself? So I talk about five senses in the book, not eyes and smelling and everything else that we had as as adults might have, but senses that children have that we lose sight of and remind people how they can return to it.
0: What are those five senses?
1: (laughs) So the first is wonder. You have kids. You have three little kids. Their favorite question to mom is in all likelihood, why? Mm -hmm. Eat your oranges. Why? Brush your teeth. Why? Get your shoes on. Why? Kids want to know the answers to questions. Why? Who says? What if? What's next? Why not? And eventually, we tell them to stop asking questions, to get in line, to check the right box. There's only one answer. Check the right box, kids. And we, through our education system, this is not a knock on our system, and we in our parenting have silenced their curiosity. And during a time of outbreak, during a time of crisis, and by the way, the outbreak's not new. For your listener who was saying, don't you see how cruddy everything is? I do. Last year, when there was no coronavirus, 1.6 million Americans attempted suicide. So there's nothing new under the sun. This outbreak has been going on long before corona swept over across our nation. It is an outbreak of people recognizing how beautiful their lives are. It's a mental health outbreak. It's a connectedness outbreak. It's a feeling of isolation outbreak. And none of this is new. It's not due to the outbreak, it's due to the brokenness of humanity. And then we need to come in and sweep in and remind our brothers and sisters they're not alone. Their life is a precious gift. And we're with them. Kids do this naturally. And part of the way they do it is through questions. And then we mm-hmm. silence those questions. So, number one is wonder, number two is expectancy which is a way of saying the placebo effect is alive and real. The challenge that all pharmacy companies face is when they roll a drug onto the marketplace, whether it is a sugar pill or is actual chemotherapy treatment or whatever the thing is, both work. And they struggle mindily saying, well, dang it, why can't we show why our drug is so much better than that garbage sugar pill? And I think they're asking the wrong question. My point is this, Why don't we teach people that their mindset around sugar affects what's going to happen next? If you think the patient's going to get better, the patient themselves actually get better. It's not always the case. But frequently the testing is broken because both treatments, the one that is real and the one that is seemingly fake, both benefit the patient. So what you think might happen, in fact, over time happens because you eat differently you pray differently, you dream differently, you connect with those around you differently. Rather than wasting away these days of watching Netflix series like the Tiger King, great, everybody else is on it, you're actually learning how to play the piano because you know tomorrow is going to be better than today. And that's going to actually affect what happens tomorrow and today.
0: So gorgeous.
1: The third thing they provide is the gift of immersion. Your little I know you got three little girls upstairs. When kids are studying, they're studying. But then the bell rings and they go outside for recess. Then the bell rings, they come in, they wash their hands, they go eat lunch. Then the bell rings and they go off to English class. All day long, they're laser focused on what they're doing. And you and I are multitasking. while you're asking me a question, I'm I'm replying to an email and I'm thinking about what's for dinner because I got just too many things to worry about just your podcast. I'm doing a million things all the time. I'm that important. I'm that busy. We're not immersed in anything. We're barely hanging on, bored by the mundane. And yet the mundane is the critically important. Kids recognize this. An earthworm is beautiful. A rainbow is stunning. And we're looking down at our phones and we walk right past it. So um, I encourage your listeners to stop multitasking and to be fully immersed like a child is naturally in the thing they're doing when they're doing it. If it's play, play. If it's Sabbath, if it's rest, rest. If it's learning, learn. If it's work, work like a dog. But eventually play like a puppy. And I don't think we do these very effectively now. One of the, uh, another gift of, the, of this difficult time for us is we have never been more called out to be focused in the moment. You're seeing families come together. You're seeing families dream together. You're seeing families do these weird things like playing games. You're seeing friends connect digitally where they're playing Monopoly from 3,000 miles away, having a glass of wine, laughing. It's been years since we've done this, but we're connecting again because they're focused on the thing right in front of them. Crisis reminds us of that, kids know it naturally though. So that's immersion, the fourth is belonging. We've unpacked this a little bit, but not only are we critical with the way we feel about life, 1.5 and a half or so million attempted suicide, Cigna ran a study where 54% of us feel every single day as if we were isolated. This study came out in 2018. We feel isolated during a period where we can run around freely, when we're healthy, when markets are killing it, when unemployment is low, What are we going to feel like during this cycle when we literally are cut off from one another? And then how do we redeem that? So uh, kids again, remind us of the value of belonging, but the way you first belong is to look in the mirror and realize that you matter, that you're enough, that you don't need makeup. You don't need lipstick. You don't need more money. You don't need that stuff. Kids don't. I mean, when was the last time a first grader brushed her hair or his hair? They don't care at all. They don't brush their teeth, let alone their hair. They belong which frees them to reach across the aisle and recognize that they belong to. They may ask you why your skin color is different, why your fingers are gone. But once you answer that's behind us, they don't need to build walls. They're constantly building bridges. So kids belong. They remind us we can return to that too. Cause you once were a child, she's wow. still inside you. And the final thing is freedom. Uh, kids are the most free people I know, but I don't just mean like adult, like little ones. You can see adults, the, the people who, you know, Kathy, who are most alive. Are free. They don't worry about someone else's opinion of them. They're not settling for the, well, this is the way it's always been done. They are fully liberated to live boldly and unabashedly their life. And so uh, those are the five senses that we unpack in the book in awe. Nothing new under the sun. You know where those words come from. They're some of my favorite from scripture. But I think we forget what has already been placed in front of us. We forget what we knew. So this book won't remind you of anything you didn't know. You knew it all but you lost sight and here's the way you can return to it.
0: Wow. So powerful and so needed. And the way that you turn it around and talk about the percentages of people who felt isolated, the percentage of people who felt that they were willing to try their hand at suicide. And this is before the coronavirus and how you're turning it around to show us what is it exposing that was already present and that, The the problem was already here, and now we're actually able to maybe stop and do something about it. And it's just, boy, way to turn that around. And it's just incredible. What does the research show about practicing these kinds of things?
1: So one of the coolest things that the research is showing, and we unpack it in the book, in awe, force bathing. Okay, like kind of a weird term, but I joke in like my my poor wife is like my first patient when I write these things your practice talks or whatever. She's audience member 1A. So I, I deliver these on her and anytime I take a walk with the kids so now I'm like, I'm gonna do I'm gonna go forest bathe with the kids and it drives her crazy. But what forest bathing means is occasionally and this is gonna be harder for some of your listeners right now, to go outside to actually take off your shoes. When was the last time you felt grass? Felt mud. Looked up, watch clouds pass overhead, and I, I learned about the beauty of this. I was playing with my kids while writing this book, and my little girl Grace and I are outside. We're running around with her brothers, and uh, we're, now we lay down, kind of under a tree. The leaves are blowing ahead of us. The clouds are passing by, and she goes, "Daddy, do you see it?" I'm like, "Do, you, do I see what?" She goes, "It's an airplane." I'm like, well, "Okay, uh, I don't see an airplane," and she goes, "Yeah, it's an airplane. See it?" And then I recognized, Kathy. She wasn't talking about an actual plane. She was talking about a cloud. And this little girl looking up at the heavens has the inspiration to rather than be bored by what's going on overhead, to pause long enough to celebrate what it is and to imagine something beautiful right in front of her. And we get bored by this stuff. We don't even look up anymore. The research on on forest bathing, which it's a fancy way of saying go outside, people. Leave your cell phone inside, though, people embrace the sounds, listen to the birds, go to a creek, listen to water running. All this stuff has been proven to lower stress, reduce anxiety, help with creativity, allow us to be more collaborative, connect others and live longer. This is good stuff. And during this crazy season, if you are unable to go outside, many of us can't right now, go to YouTube and type in uh, pretty creek, type in campfire. And you'll get these sounds that will be placed in front of you, and it will do the, almost the exact same thing. So during the season of challenge, one of the cool things you can do is forest bathe. Uh, a lot of research is on this, on how it's going to affect not only the way you show up into the day, but what's going to happen in your following day. And one more point on the placebo effect, expectancy. The other side of expectancy is if you think the worst is in front of you, you prove it out. So if they tell you, uh, John, this is going to hurt, it hurts. It hurts more. So all research around, if you think it's going to be better, it's going to become better. And if you think it's going to be worse, it's going to be worse. I'm not telling you to be a Pollyanna around the day, but I'm telling you to see it through the lens of truth because you'll see something more beautiful than the media will, I think.
0: I mean, it's just fascinating. And it's so true when you say it, it's like such a simple sentence, but when you said it, I'm like, you said, we don't even look up anymore. We don't. You're right. We don't look up. We don't. When was the last time we went outside and put our feet in the mud or the grass? Like Never. Right. So simple. And what you're, to your point, my daughter right now is studying, of course, at home. And one of the things they're studying is the kelp forests, which I never even knew about, but I'm learning it with her. And There's a live cam in Monterey Bay, live cam under the water. So we click on it every day and she has to write three things that she observes. And I'm telling you, I know it's not as good as being in that water, but watching the live cam for five minutes, which is her job, and I do it with her now, it is the most peaceful thing to watch. And so, yes, you can type that in right now and you can get a tiny little taste of what it feels like to be in nature, which is truly epic. I do want to mention your incredible podcast, Live Inspired Podcast. And you've had so many incredible people on that show. Brene Brown was on the show. You, you've had so many people on the show who share such incredible wisdom. Tell us uh, a little bit about the show and what it delivers.
1: So I take my own medicine, my friend. So when I tell you, consider journaling, why me? I did that, did that exercise this morning. And if I wake up to see the sunrise tomorrow, I'll do it again. Well, <laughs> another part of that exercise is what more can I do? So for a decade, John O'Leary has been racing around delivering messages live and audiences, which is so awesome. But one of the questions that I was asking back uh, in the glory days is what more can I do? How can I serve this audience better? And so I wrote a book, one of the ways, give them the full story, wrote a book called On Fire. And that was really cool. And then we recognized, well, what else can we do? What more can I do to serve people? Just love them where they are created a podcast called the Live Inspired Podcast. What if we brought in people way cooler than John O'Leary to share their life experiences, the mistakes they made, what they learned, and what it means for our audience, how they too indeed can live inspired. And so I bring on people like you, Kathy, who I've had on and have the, had the honor of hearing your life story and your grandparents' incredible stories. Bring on people like Brene Brown and people I look up to, astronauts, uh, scientists, authors, overcomers, ordinary, seemingly people who do remarkable things in their life. I don't believe really in ordinary. I think life is stunning. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a gift. So I bring on these people, I ask questions and then get out of the way, let them fill it in with their, their truth, their story, their life. And the idea always was to leave people inspired, motivated and encouraged to recognize that the challenges they face, because we always talk about the challenges don't have to define their lives, that it can in fact become like a redefinition moment. It can become an inflection point, Kathy, that can remind them that their best days are in fact in front of them, that they had to go through the storm to recognize what really matters to grow in one way they weren't expecting, and then to move forward in a a new direction. So that's what the podcast is. We've had 260 episodes. We've had several million downloads. It's about love, man. It's about life and connection.
0: You're love. You are connection personified. You're stunning. You are all of those things embodied in human form. Everybody who knows you is so blessed to know you and to let those words sink in. You guys, if you're listening today and this has made an impact on you, I would love for you to post about this and tag me and tag John and I would be happy to reshare your posts. I want you to share it because this is one of those episodes that I I think everybody needs to hear. And especially now by sharing this, you might do Someone else such a service by letting someone else hear John's words. John, thank you for all of this. It is so generous. It is so epic, and I'm so grateful to you. You are such a blessing.
1: Thank you. let, Let me give your friends an opportunity if they want to stay in touch. Amazing. And what the on day one of this epic challenging journey that you and I and and all of our friends now face. We recognize as a community, we we wanted to be on the front side of life. We wanted to be on the front side when everybody else is selling despair of hope and of encouragement. So we began on probably like three days in as it began sweeping through our country and the countries, something called readinaw.com, readinaw.com. That's the landing page. But on the very top of that landing page is an email place where you can get 21 consecutive days of love, encouragement. Uh. And a simple action, like just a really short little simple action to take a picture of nature, to call an old friend, to remind someone that they're not alone, to bake something for someone else and give it to them as a surprise, just little things done over time can impact not, not only the people doing it, but everybody else witnessing this. So if you go to readinaw.com, very top of that page, your email hit send. And then tomorrow morning, people were doing life together uh, every single day. Uh, we're giving away copies of the book for people who hashtag in awe. We're not trying, I mean, during the season, I'm not trying to monetize despair. We're trying to pour into it. We're trying to fight back against it. The, the most moving, I have a picture of it in my office. It's a picture of guys on September 11th, firefighters with their gear on, moving into the Twin Towers. And for me, you know, we celebrate actors and, and uh, great business owners and business minds and songwriters. Like we celebrate tycoons. But for me, it's the people that we typically overlook until they show us what real heroism looks like, real courage looks like. And I have a picture hanging up down the hall of these young Italian, probably boys in New York City, walking right into the building, shaking their heads left and right. But they're going to the building. They're moving toward the problem. Anybody else can talk about how bad this is, how lousy this is, how unfair life is. But it takes real heroes to say the heck with I'm going in. I'm going to try to save as many of my friends, as many of my strangers, as many of my citizens as I possibly can along the way. And so today we have an opportunity to do that in our own marketplace. You see it in your healthcare professionals. You see it in the guys delivering food to the grocery stores. You see it in the guys stocking shelves. That's actually dangerous work right now. And they're doing it. So it's selfless love. You see it now, but my encouragement is to be like my grandfather's generation and yours. When you come back through a Great Depression and through a world war, not to think that I'm not great, but to recognize that you were changed through this experience and to remain changed afterwards, to remain better, more faithful, more honest, and more humble as a result of what you went through together. So we're going through the storm together. This too shall pass, but let's not just lock our doors. Let, let's use this as an excuse to get out there and serve and to be light for nations that are longing for it. And we can offer prayers. We can offer encouragement. We can offer love. We can offer money for some of us, but we can't do it if we're our, our windows and our doors are locked. So uh, be generous, be kind. And I'll see you at com.
0: We will definitely share that link, put it in the show notes. Thank you so much for all of it.
1: Kathy, listen, I You're enjoyed amazing. the podcast first because I wanted to share your story with our community and and I'm so glad I did. And I'm thrilled to be now part of yours.
0: Well, of course you would say something like that. That's exactly what I mean. On top of it all, you treat people with so much grace. So here's to more and uh, we will continue to, to make sure that people know about the book and about all this other stuff. Thank you so much. What a story, right? John is an incredible person. Here are the takeaways. Number one, anybody can become a hero, but they have to make their life about something bigger than themselves Number two, life is going to be hard as long as you're in the game, but there's another way to see it all. You get to choose your path forward. Number three, there's nothing you can't do if you decide to put your left foot in front of your right foot and stop making excuses. Number four, life is a fragile gift. Don't miss the sunrise. Number five, the first way to belong is to look in the mirror and realize that you matter and you're enough. Number six, leave your phone inside and go outside. Number seven, the challenges you face don't have to define your life. They can be a redefining moment, the inflection point to remind you that your best days are in front of you. And number eight, recognize you have changed through this experience and remain changed after that. Remain better, more faithful, honest, and humble because of what we went through together. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know there's so much going on and you could be doing a million other things. We have more great guests coming up on the show. Um, great episodes. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else. Um, it's free to subscribe. And if you want a chance to win some adorable swag and a scholarship to my program, you can enter the star giveaway. You just subscribe, post about the show on your Instagram, tag a friend, and then leave us a review and email a screenshot of your review to hello at com with the subject line star. I'm just curious, did this episode inspire you? Did you learn any new practices or any ideas from it? If the answer is yes, then take a second right now and share the episode with somebody. Tell them what you learned, and maybe it'll help them too. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine. I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. So many times I
2: chose to.